Good morning. Every time I go to a Kings game, I lose my voice. Um, this may be one of the first times I was afraid I was going to lose my voice singing this morning, so thank you to Joe and the worship team. That was awesome. A great time that God has praised in this place, so thank you for that. Um, does anybody know what this is? Oh, wow, I got a brand down here. Yes, it's not a trick question. It's a flashlight or also known as a maglite floor style. Floor style. Floor style. Old style. Four style. Okay. Four cell. Okay, you guys know way too much about this. this. That was the point. I just wanted to know if you knew the name. That's Okay. For the rest of us, it's a flashlight, okay, <laughs> right? What, is a, what does a flashlight do? Anyone know? This is going to be annoying to you. What does it do? Shines a light. How does a flashlight work best, would you say? When it's dark, with the batteries. Yeah, good. You're a little bit ahead, Steve. You're a little bit ahead of me. Because what happens, this takes a minute. What happens when I take the batteries out of my flashlight? Right. Doesn't work. Four cell, I should have expected that. Okay. My object lessons are always so impacting. Okay. Without the batteries, now what does it do? I mean, it's it's heavy. Yeah, it's heavy. So it's got that going for it, right? Once I remove the batteries, it doesn't really do anything. I could tell you what it's meant to do. I could try to explain it to you, but I can't, I can no longer show you what it does without the batteries. Does that make sense? Okay. So, here's where I'm going with this this morning. You are a flashlight. You're a flashlight. You are made for a specific purpose. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are meant to reflect the glory of God into the world. You are meant to reflect light into a dark place. That's what you're designed to do. You're made in His image. And you are powered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what empowers you to do that. Did you know that? That's how you function as you were intended. David's watching to see if I put this back together correctly. And I paid no attention when I took it apart, so this is a gamble to see. You're filled with the Holy Spirit... Oh, put it in wrong. Okay. (laughs) It's the worst object lesson ever. (laughs) David, put this back together for me. Yeah. Thank you. All right. All right. The flashlight only does what it's supposed to do when it has power, as Steve mentioned, right? It only works the way it's supposed to work. It only functions as it's supposed to function when it's powered. If you're a flashlight and you're meant to reflect God's light into a dark place, into a dark world, you only function as you're intended to function when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what empowers us to be how we're supposed to be. And if you don't have any batteries, or you have somehow made those batteries ineffective, as I have done, what the Bible refers to as quenching the Spirit of God then you no longer function as you're supposed to function. In fact, what purpose do you serve then? You can tell people how it's supposed to work. You can try to explain it, but you can't show them the power of God in you. Thank you, David. 
You cannot show them the power of God in you. You cannot show them the power of God in the world. You cannot be light in a dark place unless you're functioning properly, powered by the Spirit of God, to, to work as you were designed to work, to be who you were designed to be. Why am I saying this this morning? What does this have to do with what we're talking about? Well, this morning our passage is talking about being on mission with God, being on mission with God in the world. And as Jesus would have defined being on mission with God as he did in Matthew 28, he would say that's about making disciples. What do we mean by making disciples? Why do we say that? It's interesting that this would come up today because last week we were talking about this as a church family. And if you're in a life group, you're going through our multiply material right now, and we've been talking about what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a follower of Jesus in the world. In fact, most of you are to the point now where you're not just talking about what does it look like to follow Jesus, but you're talking about what does it look like to follow Jesus as a part of a church body, as a part of a church family. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. What we want to be about, who we want to be as a church family, is to be on mission with God. That means to make disciples. That means not only to make disciples of those who don't know Jesus. We want people who don't know him to come to know him. But there's another side to that. Making disciples also has an equipping, a teaching, and a training aspect for those who do know Jesus, that we would grow up in our faith, that we would be encouraged and strengthened in our faith and become a true follower of Jesus, that we wouldn't just be heavy, that we wouldn't just be dead weight in the kingdom, but that we would function as we're meant to function, that we would reflect the glory of God, the light of God into a dark place, that we would function as we were meant to. There's a preaching element to making disciples. That's the going out and reaching people who have never heard the good news of the Bible. And there's a teaching element to making disciples, the training up of those who already know him that want to know what it looks like to follow him. And the key, as our passage today will illustrate, is to make sure that as we do that, we are empowered by and guided by the Holy Spirit. Because without that, we're kind of useless for the kingdom without that peace. We're going to open the Word of God now, so I would just ask if you would pray with me as we do that. Heavenly Father, we want to be a church that's devoted to following you. We want to be a church family that is devoted to, being, to following in your footsteps and to looking more and more like you, to telling others about you, and to becoming more like you. So, Lord, as we open your word this morning, would you open our hearts to hear what you have to say to us? Would your spirit descend on this place, and would you show us, Lord, where we ought to go? Would you empower us as your followers to live lives that look more and more like you, to reflect your glory, to magnify you to a world that desperately needs to know you? So we thank you for this time, Lord, that we can come together and open your word. We pray that you would speak to our hearts now. In your name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bible this morning, would you open with me to Acts chapter 15? If you don't have a Bible this morning, we have some here for you, and you're welcome to them. So if you don't have one, if you raise your hand, we will pass one down to you. Totally appropriate for you to get up and just grab one out of the basket here on the aisle as well. That would be fine. If both of those are too embarrassing for you to do... We just want you to know that they're here for you. If you don't have a copy of God's Word or you prefer this one, 
That is yours to take. That is our gift to you. So you're welcome to take that home with you. This morning, our passage breaks into three pieces, three separate sections of a narrative that give us insight into what it looks like to live on mission. And as we describe, the mission is to make disciples, as Jesus said at the end of Matthew, at the end of his ministry on earth. And what we're seeing through the book of Acts is a group of people that are committed to living on mission, a group of people that are committed to continuing the ministry or the mission of Jesus in the world. And as we've described it, we've said that the story of Acts is a group of ordinary people that are equipped with this irresistible message, the good news of Jesus, and that they're doing extraordinary things through the power of the Holy Spirit, that that's the key to it, is the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to start this morning in Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 35. So if you just read with me, we'll read the first section of our three-part narrative this morning. Acts 15, 35 says, But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So the first piece of our narrative this morning, Paul says to Barnabas, hey, let's go back to everywhere where we've shared the gospel. Let's go back everywhere where we've shared the good news, and let's see how they're doing. Let's encourage our brothers there. Let's see how they're doing in the Lord. Let's go back and encourage them. And Barnabas says that's a great idea. See, Paul and Barnabas understand that going out and sharing the gospel is not about making converts. This is not about getting people to proclaim a faith in Jesus Christ. It's about making disciples. That's what Jesus asked them to do. And making disciples is different. Making disciples has a relational component. This is not something you do in a vacuum. This is something that you do in community. You become a follower. This is a, a lifestyle. It's not just a single point of decision. It requires encouragement. It requires accountability. And so Paul says to Barnabas, let's go encourage. Let's go see how they're doing. And Barnabas says, that's a great idea. Let's bring John Mark. And Paul says, let's not. And Barnabas says, no, I, I agree. Let's go do this. Let's bring John Mark with us. And Paul says, let's not bring John Mark. And it goes on like this for a while. Ultimately, Paul says, you've got to be kidding me about taking this guy along. This guy left us right in the middle of chapter 13. Don't you remember that? Okay, he probably didn't say it exactly like that, but that's about where it happened. Barnabas wants to take him along, but based on past performance, Paul's like, I don't think he can cut it. He bailed out on us. I'm not willing to take him along. And they can't come to an agreement. In fact, Luke tells us that they come to a sharp disagreement, which is different than just not coming to agreement. A sharp disagreement, I think, is Bible for fight, okay? They fight over this. They fight over this. They agree on the mission. They just can't agree on how to accomplish the mission. And this disagreement comes between them. There's this conflict between them. Now, can you believe 
the two people who love the Lord could disagree. Isn't that shocking to you? That would never happen here, right? That would never happen amidst us. Not just disagree, not just the two people who love the Lord could disagree, but could actually not agree. Not disagree, they actually can't agree. They can't come to an agreement. They separate over this. But here's what's interesting to me about this. The mission is not compromised. Paul and Barnabas cannot agree on how to accomplish the mission, but what has the priority to them? The mission, to go and encourage the believers. They agree on what they're meant to do, they just can't agree on how to do it. So instead of saying, well, we can't agree, so forget it, which is what tends to happen a lot with us, they say, we can't agree, so we'll both do it. And in fact, what we see is that the mission of God is not compromised, the mission of God is multiplied. They both go out and they both go different directions and encourage the believers in the church. What's the takeaway for us about something like this? A lot of us look at something like this, this kind of a conflict, and we want to say, okay, who was right? We want to identify who is right in the conflict, and maybe that's how you approach conflict in general in your life. I want to define who's right and who's wrong, and maybe, I'm just saying, that's why you have so much conflict in your life, (laughs) because it's always important to you who's right and who's wrong. I don't know who's right and who's wrong. Paul seems kind of harsh. Paul seems harsh to me a lot in Scripture, but maybe he's just principled. Barnabas, I don't know, he's the son of encouragement. Maybe he's kind of a bleeding heart. Maybe he's a little bit soft, and he should be harder on John Mark who left them in the middle of their ministry. I don't even know why he left. I don't understand that whole story. So how can we say who's right and who's wrong? I don't know. Here's what I think we take away from this. People have issues. People have issues. Even people who are dedicated to the mission, even people who love Jesus, even people who have surrendered their life to the Spirit of God and say, I want to live for the glory of God, have issues. Because... We're harsh with each other because we're prone to sin, because we can be cruel to each other because we're full of pride and we assume that we're right. If we don't know we're right, we assume we're right. We have the best way to do things. There's going to be conflict and disagreement as we pursue the mission of God in the world. That's going to happen. We're going to mess it up. We're going to let each other down. We're going to hurt each other's feelings. But God can work in spite of our issues. In fact, that's the beauty of the Gospels, that God knows that we have issues, and he saved us in spite of our issues, in the midst of our issues, and said, I can use you anyway for my kingdom and for my purposes. And if we allow him, through the Holy Spirit, he will begin to transform our hearts to look less like the one that has so many issues and more and more like his son. And that's pretty cool. Maybe that heart in us, the heart that is filled with the Spirit of God, would prompt us to begin to ask some questions of ourselves, to give each other some grace. Maybe that heart would start to allow us to give each other the benefit of the doubt. Maybe that heart would prompt us to say, I'm sorry when I've hurt you. Would prompt us to say, forgive me when I've hurt someone within God's family. Would you forgive me? I have issues. That's 
what the heart of God would begin to prompt in us so that above all, the mission of God is not compromised. That's the point here. We want to be on mission for God. See, God will work in spite of our brokenness, but in the midst of it, God will work on our brokenness. Do you catch that? He's going to work in spite of our brokenness. He's doing that with Paul and Barnabas. But in the midst of that, God wants to work on our brokenness. That's what the gospel would say to those of us who are already following Jesus. It would say, I still love you even though you have issues and I'm going to continue to mold you more and more into the image of my son. If you will allow it, if you will be sensitive to the spirit of God working in your life. So Paul and Barnabas are going to go and make disciples. They're going to do it separately from each other. But they're going to go teach, encourage, and they're going to go preach and reach new people for the kingdom. They're going to raise up leaders. They're going to go out on mission. And Luke, who's the author of Acts, is going to follow Paul in the narrative. In fact, we have every indication that Luke is literally following Paul because he starts to write himself into the story. He starts to use, reference himself in the story as he's writing the narrative. Continue here with the second part of our three-part section this morning in chapter 16, verse 1. We're following Paul now. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek." As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been made, sorry, the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. That's the result of their work. So the theme of making disciples continues. At the beginning, they said, let's go make disciples. Let's go encourage those that are in the faith and reach new people for Jesus. The theme continues here because Paul finds Timothy and he invites them to join them on the mission to go and share and proclaim the good news and to encourage the believers as they go. And we know from Scripture that Timothy is someone that Paul makes an investment in. Timothy is someone that Paul pours his life into and coaches and mentors. And we see later in the New Testament the letters that Paul writes to him to encourage him in his ministry. So Timothy is someone they pick up along the way. Now, there's a piece in here that I think is going to be a little bit confusing or may be confusing to us this morning, and I want to address it because we should address it, but it's not the main point, so I don't want to get lost in it, and we're going to try to walk that line this morning. There's a piece in here that refers to the beginning of chapter 15, which we missed. Last week, while the Whittier Hills campus and the Uptown campuses were preaching the beginning of chapter 15, we were here together celebrating our seven-month, one-week anniversary. (laughs) So we skipped that part. Now, if that's important, you can go online and you can hear that sermon. You can hear it in two different flavors. So you're welcome to do that. Let me try to give it to you in about two minutes to the best of my ability. If you were to look back at the beginning of chapter 15, there's an issue that arises. There's an issue that comes before the elders of the church. And a bunch of people are coming and saying, hey, if people want to be legitimate followers of Jesus, then they have to be like the Jews. If people are going to be legitimate followers of Jesus, they have to take on the practices of the Jews. Specifically, they need to be circumcised according to the custom and the law of Moses. And the counter-argument to that is, why would they need to follow the Jewish law to follow Jesus? 
That doesn't make much sense. And this is called the Jerusalem Council, and they get all the biggest brains together, and they seek the Lord, and they talk together, and they decide, you know what? You don't have to follow Jewish law to follow Jesus. It's not a salvation issue. It's a cultural issue, and so we're going to remove this yoke that we've placed on all the Gentiles, all those who are not Jewish that we've been saying, you have to be Jewish to follow Jesus. We're going to say, we're going to remove that. And everyone says, yay, all the, all the Gentiles. They're all excited about that. They've actually removed this burden from them that God did not intend for them. So when it says that they delivered to them for observance the decisions that were made by this Jerusalem council, that's what they were going out to teach them about. Hey, let us tell you this is what has been decided. But wait, you're saying, because <laughs> it says that in verse 4, but in verse 3, what does it say? What does Paul expect of Timothy? He circumcises him. What? He circumcises him so that they can go out and tell people you don't have to be circumcised to follow Jesus. That's really weird and seems unfair to Timothy, and it seems a little hypocritical of Paul. You're going to have to have this surgical procedure so that you are identified with the Jewish covenant before God. That's weird. Why does he do that? The Jerusalem Council made a decision for the Gentiles, those who are not Jewish. But Timothy is Jewish. His mother is Jewish. He's identified himself as Jewish. And Paul says, we're about to go into the synagogue and speak to all of these Jews. Let's not have this be an issue. Because this is not a salvation issue. This is a, a strategic issue. I want to go into the synagogue and I want to reach Jews for Jesus. And I want you to come with me. And if you're Jewish, you need to be in good standing. This is a cultural issue, not a salvation issue. So Timothy is circumcised, and I think Paul's letter um, to the Corinthians probably, probably gives us an insight into Paul's frame of mind, why he would ask Timothy to do this. Let me read this to you. This is Paul's heart. He says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, that I might win those under the law. He says later in there, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul says, I'm going to do everything I can to be as effective as possible to as many people as possible. And Timothy, if you're going to come with me and we're going to reach people for Jesus, then you're going to share my heart to reach as many people as possible for the sake of the gospel. So that's why that happens. That's why it happens the way it happens. It's not as hypocritical as it sounds. In fact, it makes a lot of sense that Paul would do it that way. And what is the result of their work in these churches? Verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Two things, those who are already following are strengthened in their faith. They're encouraged, they're being trained, and people are being added to the church daily. And I look at this and I think, that's what we want. That's what we want as a church family, that there would be a, a teaching component of our church, a training and encouraging component of our church, that that would happen here on Sunday morning, that that would happen in our life groups, or any time that we get together, we would be teaching and training and encouraging each other to be more like Jesus, to have the heart of Jesus in the world and in our community and with each other. 
And that the flip side of that would be that there would also be a reaching component of our church. That we would go out into the community to share the gospel with those who don't know it yet so that they can become followers of Jesus as well. So there's a teaching component and there's a reaching component to the mission of God and making disciples so that new followers could be added to our family daily. Wouldn't that be a cool thing if they said that about our church daily? That's often. Anybody know how many people live in La Habra? 61,600 something people live in the city of La Habra. That's seven square miles. 61,600 people, and I would guess they don't all know Jesus. That's why we're here. And Jesus says in Matthew 28, go and make disciples. And this is our mission field. 61,600 people, and we don't know how many of them know Jesus, so let's find out. And let's see if we can't add them to our number daily as followers of Jesus. And let's encourage each other as we go out and do it. How do you do that? How do we possibly do that? That sounds overwhelming. Well, the third part of our narrative this morning sheds some light on it. Starting in verse 6, this is the last piece this morning. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. That sounds strange. I wonder what that means. Keep going. Verse 7, and when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Here's what strikes me about this encounter that we're reading about. Luke, who is our author, doesn't explain a lot of the how here. He says that they're forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go into Asia. He says that they're prevented by the Spirit of Jesus from going into Bithynia, but he doesn't really explain what that looks like. So here we have a group of guys, Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy, probably others, who are sensitive enough to the Spirit of God to know when he's saying no. What have they done up to this point? Did the Spirit of God, or did God himself write them a letter and say, Paul, go and strengthen the churches. Go back to all the places where you were and make disciples. No, not expressly, certainly not that Luke has written down for us to know. The default position is to make disciples. The default position is to be on mission. So Paul says, this is consistent with the mission of God to go out and make disciples, so I'm going to go out and do that. And the Spirit of God allows it. And then they say, Timothy seems like a guy, people speak well of him, we seem to know his heart, let's take him along, let's raise him up, let's pour ourselves into him, and the Spirit of God allows it. And we see the, strength, the church strengthened and encouraged, and we see new people coming to faith in Jesus. And then Paul says, great, we're on a roll, let's go to Asia. And the Spirit of God says, nope. Okay, let's try Bithynia, the Spirit of God says. Uh-uh, you're not going to go there either. Paul says, I want to go right, and the Spirit of God says, you're going to go left, at least if you're looking on a map. That's, so, sorry, for you, that's right and left. Paul says, I want to go this way, and the Spirit of God says, no, you're going to go that way. 
Luke doesn't really tell us what it looks like when the Holy Spirit keeps them from going somewhere, but he certainly tells us what it looks like when he prompts them to go somewhere specific. Look at what it says in verse 9. It says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. That is a vision that's pretty on the nose. It's pretty specific. They're trying to do these things. They're trying to be on mission. And God says, no, no, I have something specific for you, and I'm going to tell you specifically. Now, there's an important detail here that I think we can miss if we're not careful. This vision appears to Paul. We think of Paul as this spiritual giant. So he has this vision, and they go, right? It says immediately they go. It says a little bit more than that, though. Look at what it says. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia What's the next word? Concluding that God has called us to preach the gospel there. What does concluding mean? I looked it up because I always do. To bring it to decision or settlement, to determine by reasoning. It says we concluded that we should go. What does that imply? That implies a conversation. Paul doesn't have a vision and says, we're going. Paul has a vision and they have a conversation about it. And look at how Luke phrases it. We sought to go into Macedonia, concluding through a conversation together that God had called us to preach the gospel. I think what Luke is telling us is that they're open to the leading of the Spirit, but they're also discerning about the leading of the Spirit. This is not just God gave one guy a dream, so they all jump on board. God gave someone a dream. And they talked about it and said, yes, this is consistent with the mission of God. And in this case, it's pretty specific. And Paul is, yes, spiritually pretty trustworthy. So yeah, let's go do it. God has called us to do this. I think this is very, very much like what Sherry shared with us last week in the video that we watched about the life group mission to the thrift store. If you remember that, <clears throat> she's saying, I'm on mission with God. I want to serve him in La Habra and I'm taking a load of clothes to the goodwill. And while I'm driving, I'm remembering this. Wait a minute. We've said we want to bless the community of La Habra as a church. And she literally turns around and comes back to a thrift store that she knows is in La Habra, just thinking, okay, this is what we're trying to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just try to do that. Turns around her car, goes back there, and then has this conversation with a woman in the thrift store that's saying, if only we had help. I wish someone would help us. And then thinking, wait, we've been looking for a place to help in La Havre. And here's a woman saying, I need help. So what did she do? Even sharing in the video, she said, so I went to my life group and I told them the story. She takes it to her life group and she said, because I, I was there, I don't know what this means, but this is what happened. What do you guys think? So we prayed about it. We talked about it and said, let's go. Let's do it. Let's just do it. Now, some of you that are very, very skeptical, or maybe just very skeptical, or maybe just a little skeptical, are saying, are you saying that God told you to go to a thrift store in La Habra? I'd say, no. He didn't say it. I'm just saying there are a group of people that are sensitive to the leading of the Spirit that are saying this is consistent with the mission of God, and it seems like the Spirit has kind of arranged this thing for us, and so we're going to follow that in faith. And we're going to expect God to show up and do something, and we're going to assume that he can close the door if he wants to. I think that's what it looks like us, for us practically 
to follow the leading of the Spirit of God, to be sensitive to the Spirit of leading of God, and also to be discerning about it. Because I think those are the two concerns we have. Some of us are way in the Spirit side, and some of us are way on the wisdom side, and I think we want to find a balance between those two. And I think that's what we see here, is a description of what that can look like. Jesus says the mission is to make disciples. That's the mission. So go and tell them the irresistible message, the good news. Go out and tell them. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can expect to do extraordinary things because the Spirit of God is empowering you to do that. So the question is, do we know the message? Are we showing the message? Do we know all of this stuff and we just talk about it and try to explain it and say, this is how a flashlight works. This is how the family of God is supposed to reflect the glory of God into the world. Let me explain to you how it works. Let's do a study about it. Let's talk about it a lot. Let's read some books about it. Or are we actually being changed by that truth so that we, thank you, David, so that we actually work the way we were meant to work? so that we actually reflect the light of our glorious God into a dark world? That's the question. Do we know it, or are we being changed by it? And those are two very, very different questions. I feel like a flashlight without batteries is kind of lame. It doesn't really do much. It's not really worth much. And I feel like a church that's not sensitive to the Spirit of God, not willing to be changed by Him from the inside out, is kind of lame. We're just talking a lot and explaining a lot. We're not really showing anything. We're not really being changed. We're not really any different. God's the one that does the work. We're just the vessel for his light. His spirit is the power that allows us to do his kingdom work. There's nothing different about us. There's just something different in us. Does that make sense? Ordinary people on mission without the power of the Spirit? Just ordinary people. That's the truth. We can have a great message. The Spirit's not in it. We're just ordinary people. But ordinary people with that great message that are empowered by the Spirit of God can change the world. That's the reason we named the series the way we did. Unleashed to change the world. That's the picture of the church that we see in Acts. You have your connection card this morning. Joe talked about it earlier. If you have that, would you take that out? I'm going to call the ushers forward to collect those. And we're going to to praise God one last time this morning. But I just want to ask you a couple of questions before we respond in worship this morning. Here's the question. Are you pursuing the mission of God to make disciples in La Habra? Are you encouraging the family of God? Are you helping us to become more like Jesus? And are you reaching out to those who don't know him yet? That's the question. Are you on mission with God? Do you know how to do that? Do you need prayers you do that? Do you need us to come alongside you and encourage you in that? We would love to do any or all of those things. That's why we're here. So on your connection card, you've got a place to share prayer request. And if that's the prayer that you have, I want to be on mission, I want to be effective for the kingdom, then would you write that down? Some of you have had an experience where, (coughs) excuse me, God has used you in a big or a small way. You're trying to be faithful to that mission. If you turn the card over, there's a place for you to share your God stories. 
Some of you have done this before. Share what God is doing in and through you. Share that with us. We'd love to be encouraged by that as well. The second question is this. Are you surrendered to the Spirit of God? Are you surrendered to the Spirit of God? Have you quenched the Spirit of God? Do you have the spring in backwards? Is that the problem? You have the spring in backwards? Maybe you're more surrendered to your sin than you are surrendered to the Spirit. You're more surrendered to yourself than you are to the Spirit. And you need help. And you need someone to pray with you. Or you need someone to meet with you or someone to talk with you. Would you put that on your connection card this morning? Would you tell us? That's why we're here. We want to help. We want to help unleash you to change La Habra. 61,600 people who need to hear the good news. Minus whoever's here this morning. Maybe you don't know Jesus at all. You're like, I'm a flashlight. I have no batteries. I don't understand that analogy. That's weird. You're talking about the Holy Spirit. I don't know what that is. It sounds strange. But I'm interested. I'd like to know more. Would you put that on your card? Tell me about Jesus. I'm interested. I have questions. I want to know what you're talking about because I need to be changed. And Jesus says, I love you just the way you are. And I want to invite you into my family. Would you put that on your connection card? The question for us as we leave this morning is, are we reflecting the light of the glory of God into the world or are we just dead weight for the kingdom? That's the question. And I think that's a good topic for your lunch conversation. Am I reflecting the glory of God or have the batteries in backwards? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we want to be surrendered to you. That's not as easy as it is to say, but we want you to do a work in our hearts and make us more like you. Lord, would you come into our lives and change us, and would you allow us as, the, as a church to see you working, that we might be excited and engaged in your mission. Lord, would you do extraordinary things through us because we want to be surrendered to you. We pray this in your name. Amen.